Hey, welcome to Not Somali Mormon Podcast. Hello and welcome back. It's been so long. Welcome back, Sarah. We have missed you. I have missed you, as you know, as I told you already, like 400 times. (laughs) (laughs) And I know it's going to sound harsh, but I missed you, but I also love vacations. So, oh my God. Yeah. You guys, Sarah was in Greece and it looked amazing. She's told me a little bit about it. But oh, she's being modest. I talked to her off for like 30 minutes about all the details. I, I basically and made you tell me about it. I was living vicariously through you. <laughs> guys, I don't even know. Like, how, like I, I've described it today as being obnoxiously perfect because I don't <laughs> know how else to describe it. It's just it was amazing. So and as Katie and I talked about before, it's like, you know, people who post on social media, majority of the time it's like fake or like filtered or like. You know, oh my God, I'm like so happy, but in reality, they're not. I can 100% (laughs) say in all honesty that none of that was the case with like my social media. I was just so happy and it was paradise and like none of the scenes needed filters because everything was just beautiful. So freaking gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And the food. Let me tell y'all. (laughs) <laughs> so I went there with a loose skirt like I was like oh I don't know if I can wear it because it's too big oh uh, but the last day homegirl was struggling to zip it up <laughs> like, good if that wasn't the case I was gonna tell you that you were doing something wrong because you need to load up on the local food when you go on vacation <laughs> I mean y'all it was next level the food was like I can't even I hope we have Greek listeners and if we do I love everything about your country so like <laughs> I mean See, I love Greek food, but I've never been to Greece to have authentic Greek food. So I know it would just blow my mind. Oh, so good. Like every meal and the local wine too. Like y'all, I need a definite detox because I was drinking every day for a week, but it was worth it. YOLO. That's what my, my, my boy and I said the whole time. Like anytime we're like thinking about doing something, we're like, I mean, YOLO, right? We're on YOLO. (laughs) Right? Jesus didn't YOLO. Exactly. And he was sad because of it. So there's that. Well, the one downside, though, as I told Katie, um, you had to have poop paper, which I'm just going to go into that. Tell them about I, the poop paper. This is this is a good story people need to understand. I feel like it was the highlight of our, our trip story wise. So the first town we went to, not a problem, like flush the toilet, like ain't no thing, no problem. The second place we went to, like everything had, like every bathroom you went to had a sign that was like, please do not flush toilet paper, or like, please, please do not flush paper down the toilet. So the first time I read that, I thought like they mean like sanitary pads, like, you know, pads, oh, right. whatever. And that's, they, maybe they were just confusing it with paper or whatever, so I was like, ah, whatever. So I go to the bathroom, drop a big old turd, and <laughs> try to flush it with toilet paper, and it's not going down. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what to do. So then I just flushed it like five times, still nothing happening. I go out of the bathroom. I grab my boy. I was like, we got to go. <laughs> He's like, why? I was like, 
I just I poo and I couldn't flush it and like I don't I don't know what to do and like I feel like someone's gonna come yell at me because I clogged their toilet and I don't know who who is this (laughs) and then I just winked at him and I was like this is all yours all this is yours you're welcome I made that poo You're welcome. So, anyways, guys, we go to our Airbnb, and there. So, like, I still didn't really figure. Like, then I was kind of like, oh, they just must have a weak bathroom at this place. And by the way, it was Starbucks. And then, because I was that trashy American who I was like, I need a Starbucks, and he was like, really? Can we not just go and have like local coffee? I was like, I've had it, and it doesn't get shit moving for me, literally. So, I need a strong latte macchiato, please. Thank oh. you. That's just so classic that you clogged the Starbucks bathroom. <laughs> I know, right? So then we go to our apartment and we meet the lady and she's like, no toilet paper down the toilet. And I was like, oh, wait, really? Like, no, no toilet paper. And she's like, yeah, no toilet paper. I was like, what? So then I'm like looking at my man like, what does that mean? And later he's like, we got to put our paper in the toilet, pa- like in not in the toilet. We have to put our poo paper in the bin. Yeah, in the so trash can so for Americans. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I've been around a Brit no. too long. I say British shit now. Um, so, like, yeah, so, like, for three days, you had to, if you peed or poo or anything, you had to put it in the toilet, I mean, in the trash can beside the toilet paper. Damn oh it, I can't speak gosh. beside the toilet. So, we had, like, three days worth of poo paper, and I was like, this is fucking disgusting, and... <laughs> All, all barriers have been broken between us, so there is nothing left to cross because we had poo paper, and we had to take out the poo paper before we left, so... Yeah, didn't your man, he took out the poo oh, paper because you were like, like, this smells too bad, so that's, you know, that's some... That's he's shown you some love. love. <laughs> I am not taking that out, so... And for everyone else who's interested in my life, because everyone's interested in the details of my life, <laughs> um, other stories of the trip. I love Greece, but very, <laughs> still quite sexist. Um, the entire interactions that I like, all of them I had with the guys were just like constantly like they would look at my my boy and be like, "Oh, she spends the money," or like. We know who the boss is. We're the boss because we make the monies. But, you know, our women, they go out and spend it. And, like, I'm sure she wants to go Ugh. shopping. Don't don't you want to take her shopping? And I was like, I want to punch everyone in the face right now. Like, I cannot handle it. Gross. <laughs> then I was like, but I love everything else about your country. But I don't love that. Or they were like, oh, you two are married. Or, like, to, like really pushing marriage and kids. And we're like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> Hold up. (laughs) Hold up. (laughs) Crazy. So love it, but also, Grease, I'm going to need you to work on that. (laughs) Yeah. Or one lady, y'all, wouldn't even take my money because, like, it was just an ice cream shop that, like, of course, I went to three nights in a row. And, uh, like, the last night I tried to pay for it, and she was like, no, I'm not taking money from you. And she looked at my boy and was like, you need to pay. Like, (gasps) you have to pay. Yeah, it was so awkward, and I was just like, "What? Yikes!" Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that that was those were the two downfalls, I'd say. But other than that, the poop paper and the sexism. But besides (laughs) that, the food was incredible, (laughs) and the views. Oh, couldn't even can't even describe it properly. 
Well, so I'm glad you had such a good time. We missed you, but glad you're back and glad you had fun. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. Katie and I had like an hour catch up session. Session. Why am I talking so <laughs> weird? Oh, it's because I haven't recorded in so long and I don't know how to anymore. That's what happened. <laughs> no, we got this. <laughs> we got it. Oh, and before I forget, because my train of thought is so spastic right now. Um, so remember two, was it two episodes ago or the last episode, we were trying to figure out where bi comes from because my oh, friend uh-huh. was asking me. So correction, guys. My friend Kai, shout out to you. He sent me a message today saying it's from RuPaul. Which I can't believe I forgot that because I love RuPaul. I'm obsessed with You know what? Like, ever since we said that, I've gotten a few messages from people who had, they'd, like, heard it in other places as well. And then just yesterday, I was watching an old episode of Saturday Night Live, and I heard Tina Fey say it. So I'm like, I think it's just, like, kind of all over, but I think RuPaul might be the the beginning. Yeah. I want to say that he's the original, and then... It just took off an American culture because it is just an American thing that I found out. So, yeah. But thank you to everyone for like (laughs) clarifying. I know we appreciate it. And also another shout out to our lovely friend, Monica, who sent us this amazing email today that we will talk about another time. But I just need to be like, I I just, I just need to, I need to be like, why can't I speak? Why? (laughs) Um, speaking hard, but anyways, point being, she's amazing, and the email was very powerful, and we we're really excited to share her her story. And yeah, we have. Um, I'm excited for like our upcoming episodes and upcoming plans. I feel like we have some good future episodes in the works. We got yeah. some good shit in the calendar. <laughs> good That's shit. Good shit. Another one, Karen, shout out to our number one listener. What up, she Karen? Also going to be on a show in mid-July. Cause we Katie and I both have talked about this book Educated, and we both finished it. And it was recommended to us by my friend Karen, who I read her copy. And so she's gonna join us on that episode to talk about this book and her perspective as someone who read the book not being Mormon or not knowing much about Mormonism before. Right. So. so if you guys want to read it, I think we're going to be recording in like the mid, mid-July mid with Karen. And so it'll probably be airing a week or two after that. Like so probably towards the end of July is when that episode will air. So if you guys want to read the book, you have time between now and then and you can follow along with our discussion. And- it's a page turner, y'all. Like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Also, another good. book recommendation that I just got. So my boy bought me this for my birthday. It's um His Dark Materials, hmm. which oh, we were never allowed to read because, like, Christians and Mormons were like, it's evil and, like, <laughs> anti-Christian and blah, blah, blah. So when the movie um, Golden Compass came out, I was like, I'm not allowed to watch that because it's, like, this evil movie based on these evil books and blah 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 Mm -hmm. anyways my fine ass was reading it on the beach last week and it is a page turner Ooh, good to know i need to get that i haven't read it especially if you love like trilogies or anything like that like it's really good it's really good cool um i've 
I'm reading a book. I have a book recommendation since we're doing book recommendations. Um, <laughs> I'm, currently, <laughs> I'm currently reading two different books. And one of them I'll talk about a little bit later when we get into like the meat of this episode. But I'm almost done with another book called The Sound of Gravel. And it's about um, a Mormon. She was a she was raised in Mormon fundamentalism. So in a polygamous family in Mexico. And it's crazy. So Whoa. it's definitely like another page turner where it's like there's so many similarities between fundamentalists and mainstream Mormons and she went through hell. So yeah, that's a good another another good one to add to your list. Ooh, I wanna there's so many like I, I just met sorry guys, we'll get to the topic soon, but I have two weeks worth of catching up, so fucking <laughs> deal with it. I have a lot to say. I have a lot of feelings, and I just have a lot of things to say. Um, so today was my first day back at work since being on holiday, and uh, I went to lunch with some colleagues, and one of them was talking about her husband, who um, she was basically saying, like, he he's, he's a researcher in anthropology and is studying, like, the effects of religion on people, like organized religion, Ooh. particularly um, Islam in certain areas. And so I was like, oh, interesting. Did he grow up religious himself? And uh, she was, he's Dutch. And she was like, oh, actually he did. He's not religious anymore, but he grew up in like a, a, a Christian community where mm. like even his parents and stuff like that, they all live in this like commune almost type oh. thing. Like they only, the only work experience that they have is working for this community. So, like, when they tried to leave, they basically had no work experience because they Mm -hmm. worked for, you know, this church, this community, and, like, everything was in the community, like, all, it was just, like, yeah, it kind of reminded me of, like, FLDS stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, Which I think is interesting because sometimes I just forget and think that, like, FLDS or Mormonism has a monopoly on, like, crazy Christian like communities and stuff but they don't like they're other yeah they're stuff. everywhere <laughs> um so yeah anyways just thought that was interesting i'm glad that you guys listened for five minutes to me talking about that you're welcome i'm back from greece and from holiday you're welcome we uh, want to hear all the things <laughs> <laughs> i just have all the feelings and i can't help it i just have a lot of opinions i'm a chatty kathy and also i drank two cokes before this so there's that too oh nice yeah <laughs> Have a lot of energy. Um, I think that's it for my side. I have a cool tan line. Half of my stomach is tan and the other half is ghostly white from wearing a high. Oh, she had this amazing <laughs> swimsuit. It's so is was it the top? The top was like hot pink, right? Yeah. yeah. And then the bottom was like black, I think. Yeah. It's navy, but yeah. Navy. And they and it, they meet in the middle, but then there's this like sliver of tum that shows and it looks mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Girl, it was a special H and M twenty Euros. Can we Are talk you about kidding that? Kidding me. No. Shut up. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, this because I can't do one pieces because I'm short and like chubby and so usually it just looks like it's just not pleasant. But then I was like, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give this little cutout thing a try. And it worked. So there you go. Look Although, awesome. <laughs> let's be real. 
when I'm not standing up straight in a photo and I'm laying on a beach towel, like built, it was like a beach towel slash chair for most of the time with two Jiro's in my hand and a beer. <laughs> it did not look like that. It was more like a bust of can of biscuits, but I still loved it. And I yeah, appreciate it. You got to rock it. I feel like I anytime happy. you're sitting, anytime you're sitting on one of those lounge chairs, everyone has a little, you know, your, your tum gets kind of compressed. And so. Yeah, well, mine has a little stopped. roll. It's well, fine. <laughs> I stopped caring. I was like, nah, I don't care anymore. Who this cares? You're in Greece having the best time. I was time happy. Life. I was a little happy Buddha. That's how I felt. And it <laughs> oh, made me cute. Yeah. I was a happy Buddha with my Giros and my beer and my Yay. ice cream and my Cheetos. <laughs> and I think that's it. But the mainly those things. There's wine, too. You forgot the wine. Yeah, wine. Lots of wine and dessert <laughs> and all the things. Um. Yeah, so there's that, and um, should we talk about our topic? Hey, yeah. do you have an exciting news? Do Since I I've have been talking news? the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I want to shout out to our new patrons because oh. they're amazing. You all are amazing. We've said this before, but the patrons help help keep uh, the podcast. We can help us produce it. So uh, our new patrons are Bridget. Emily Emily and Jason hey I think Jason's our first I don't want to be uh maybe I'm wrong but we have one other guy we have two we have two male patrons now oh my god that's amazing I know whenever whenever guys support or like interact with us on the podcast so I'm just I, I mean I'm grateful for everyone but I'm like wow they want to listen to us. Sometimes we rant about stuff that I feel like guys would not want to listen to. <laughs> exactly. Well, it just means that they're like, I mean, obviously we should live in a place where guys would want to talk about all the things. But I think we're so traumatized for men be like, eh, I don't want to hear about a woman taking a giant turd in Starbucks <laughs> and clogging the toilet. That's gross. Or I don't want to hear about a girl looking like a busted can of biscuits while eating her Jiro and beer on the beach, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Fuck you guys if you don't want to listen to that because that's just how the world is. And yeah. women shouldn't have to, like, pretend that we don't do the same things that men do. So Exactly. Bye, so. bitches. If you listen in and it's offensive to you, get going. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone else, we love you. And we're Yay. so happy that you listen to us. Yes. So big thank you to them. Um, yeah. So I think I don't really have any other news, not that I can think of anyway. So yeah. And also for the shout outs, uh, a few listeners have been tagging us and giving us shout outs, which is really nice. My friend Lisa, I think tagged us in something and then her friend Scotty reposted it, which is really sweet. So all the things. Oh. Thanks guys. It's yeah. really nice when you, because, I mean, again, as we emphasize a thousand quadrillion times, like, if you're not able to support us by being a patron, that's fine. Um, no stress there at all. But we just really appreciate everyone else who's just listening to us and liking us and sharing things and giving us reviews on iTunes or wherever. Like, that's definitely just as supportive for us, too. So thank you. Yes. Muchas gracias. Uh, thank you. <laughs> okay, so are you ready for today's topic? Guys, I just, one second. I kind of <laughs> wish that there was someone to take a photo of me right now. 
It's so fucking hot in Berlin, so I'm wearing these grandma high-waisted panties and just an oversized shirt with my speaker (laughs) resting on my stomach right now. Yes. Yes, queen. I just looked down and was like, oh, that's happening. We needed a visual. How hot is it in Berlin? Oh, it's like, I think it was 30, um, uh, like 85 degrees Fahrenheit today. It's, Which I know is nothing to, like, Arizona, but there's not AC here, so yeah. I'm, like, dying. No. I feel you. It's 105 right now oh. in Phoenix. I know. And it's, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's only going to get hotter. But I'm with you. I'm in, like, these little, <laughs> these little shorts things, but I have them hiked, like, all the way up and this little crop top. And I'm just like, no, I can't put a boob on. There, or not a boob. I can't put a bra on <laughs> my boob. I can't put a boob on. I can't put a boob on. They're too sweaty. It's too sweaty. I need to, like, I constantly have to flap my shirt to let air up in there. Oh, anyway. I hear you. Like, and I thought I had a ring worm under my tit earlier because I was like, it's so hot. And apparently big titty girls get it because when it's, like, moist and damp and, oh. like, it happens so guys that's a true story and if you don't want to hear it don't listen to us anymore i call it swoops when you get like the sweaty boobs like swoops oh i get them all the time it's so annoying i kind of feel like you know those (laughs) those like commercials or tvs or like tv shows or movies where they're like oh what are you wearing and they describe like something sexy and then there's like me and katie that's like oh well I'm wearing, like, high-waisted grandma white panties with, like, an oversized T-shirt and no bra and my speaker on my my tummy. That's what I'm I'm rocking. Hot. Because it's literally hot. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay. So, now that everyone has a visual, everyone get comfortable. (laughs) As comfortable as we are. I want everybody to put their stretchy pants on, sit down, have a listen, take your bra off, and, yeah, join the club. And here we go, because this is kind of going to be a story time episode. I'm going to be telling Sarah the story of the salamander letter. Oh, my God. Is it going to be like, am I, I just keep imagining like an actual salamander. Well, you will see. A salamander (laughs) is involved. Yes. (laughs) So probably I bet a lot of our listeners who were once Mormon might have heard of this because it's kind of famous but it's and I want to put a disclaimer out there before we begin is that I'm not a historian and I'm probably going to get some stuff wrong because there's like there's a lot of information that you you know you can dive into with this wait let me just clarify Katie's (laughs) not a historian but I am Sarah is, though, so you can give her shit. Just so you can tell me your issues and I will ignore you um, <laughs> or tell you to fuck off. But I am the historian. So I'm going I'm to tell it as well as I can while not boring you. But it's not boring. It's exciting. Um, but if for listeners, if you want more like detailed, um, I guess, descriptions of all of this stuff, there's a few books written on it and there's I found uh, a few podcast episodes from the Naked Mormonism podcast that it's like three episodes that are I think like two hours long each so if you really want to get into it you can really get into it but I'm just gonna do an overview and give us the cliff notes version 
Cliff Notes. Y'all remember Cliff Notes? Or was it Spark Notes? What was it? Cliff Notes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the salamander letter involves... Oh, I almost knocked over my water. Whoops. (laughs) The salamander letter story starts with this man named Mark Hoffman. So Mark Hoffman was born in Salt Lake City in December of 1954. So this wasn't even that long ago. Like... He's, oh. I don't know, only a few years older than my parents. And he was born to a very faithful, devout Mormon couple in Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, so from a young age, he was, like, obsessed with old books and old literature, old documents. And, like, he collected coins and stuff like that. And when he was a teenager, he took he was so obsessed with old coins. He and he found this um, he just found like a regular dime, just a dime from like, you know, his time. And he was able to somehow remove the markings on it. And he changed the markings so it looked like an antique coin. And he actually got it like authenticated by this like coin collecting I don't know, Agency of America or whatever, like, as an antique. He, like, fooled people from when he was a teenager. So he kind of started dabbling in, like, forgery and stuff when he was a teenager. And he was really interested in it um, because he was so obsessed with antique and old documents and old stuff. So, anyway, he goes on a mission to England um, where... While he's there, he starts to collect more and more old books and old documents because, obviously, England is way older than the United States. So he could find stuff that was even older, and he was so obsessed Mm -hmm. with it. So he would, like, buy it all up and mail it home. Um, And while he was on his mission, he actually read a book that was written by someone who was anti-Mormon, and he lost his faith. He lost his testimony and decided he didn't believe in Mormonism anymore, but he didn't tell anyone. this was on his mission. This was on his mission, yeah. Where in England was he? I don't know exactly where. Uh, I'm just curious for later when I talk to my boy and I tell him that it was... I know, I thought about that. I was like, Sarah's boyfriend. I know, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to look that. But he didn't tell anyone that he you know, lost his faith. He just still kind of pretended to be Mormon. And he came home, like he served the full mission. He came home and he enrolled at Utah State University. He married a woman named Dory. Dory. And they had four children. So they were just like the quintessential Mormon family, young Mormon family. And he was going to school. Whoa, wait, wait. So sorry. Maybe I missed this. So he lost his faith on his mission, but he didn't tell anyone. So when he came home, he still pretended to be Mormon. Yep. And so his oh. wife's Mormon, his whole family's Mormon, and he's he's still acting as if he's Mormon, but he doesn't believe any of it. Oh, that's rough. Okay. Continue. So he's still collecting all as many old documents as he can find. And he starts to collect crazy amounts of old like Mormon documents and he becomes obsessed with Mormon history and studying it well in 1980 he said he claimed that he 
had found in his, you know, in his searches for old books, he found a 17th century King James version of the Bible. And inside it was a folded up piece of paper that was kind of glued inside. What? It was like, you know, this crazy thing that he found. And he opened it up. And apparently what was inside was something called that came to be known as the Anthon transcript. So to explain this, I have to go back in time. Let's rewind back to. <laughs> I feel like I'm really in like story time, like a little kid. I'm like, my legs are crossed right now and everything. I'm like, oh my God. Good. Okay, take us back in time, Katie. Take okay. us back. So let's get in the time machine and let's go back to. Eight, like the 1830s when J-Dog was translating the Book of Mormon. Okay. Okay. So, listeners, you'll remember J-Dog. He claimed that he had these gold plates that were inscribed with these characters that he said were called Reformed Egyptian. <laughs> and, <laughs> but no one else, no one else saw them. But what he didn't actually use the plates to to translate he just put his head in a hat with the rock in there and then he would say what he saw and then martin harris his scribe would write it down well martin harris's wife lucy props to lucy because she was like what the hell (laughs) she was like martin she was like martin this doesn't sound this doesn't sound right you know (laughs) sounds like he's just making this up and martin was like no lucy he's, he's legit. He's really, (laughs) he has these plates and he's told me what they look like. And she's like, you should probably get this authenticated. And Martin's like, I know, but Joseph won't let me actually take the plates to a scholar. And Lucy was like, well, why don't you have Joseph just copy down some of the, the characters onto just a regular piece of paper. And then you can take that piece of paper to a scholar and they can tell you if it really is reformed Egyptian. And he was like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Thanks, Luce. Oh my God, so, I didn't know any of this. I'm so into the story. Lucy is great. Remember in the South Park episode about Mormonism when they're like, Joseph Smith was called a prophet, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> and then they're like, Martin Harris, dum, 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 dum. And then they introduced Lucy Harris, so it's like Martin Harris, dum dum dum. Lucy Harris, smart, smart, smart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Joseph Smith agrees to do this. So he writes, he gets his paper, and he in secret he goes and he he copies apparently, but we know he was full of shit. But he says yeah. he copies these these figures and these characters onto a paper. He gives it to Martin Harris. Martin Harris goes to a professor named Charles Anthon. So that's where the name, the Anthon transcript comes from. And Charles Anthon was a classics professor at Columbia University. And he Mm -hmm. shows Anthon the paper and was like, hey, what do you think of these? And Anthon was like, I've never seen anything like this. I don't know what this is. And Martin Harris was like, well, you see, my friend Joe, Joseph Smith, <laughs> J-Dog, <laughs> he says that the he has these gold plates that God told him where they were. And he's translating this by the power of God with a rock that he put in a hat. And Charles Anthon goes, buddy, 
you are being duped. <laughs> he, was, he was like, this is a hoax. This isn't real. There's no such thing as reformed Egyptian. These just look like, he said that part of them could have been copied from maybe Greek symbols. Part of them just looked like gibberish. One part of the document looked like it could have been from like a Mexican uh, calendar, like an ancient Mexican calendar. And he's like, this isn't real. This, this is nothing. Oh, my God. So that didn't phase Martin Harris. He's, he just was like, well, I just need to have faith. So it's known dumb, that dumb, this. Dumb, 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 <laughs> Okay, so that's the story of that transcript. Okay, so we know that that thing existed, that paper existed, but it got lost. No one ever, like, saw it again, and no one ever knew where it was. Well, Mark Hoffman in 1980 claimed to find that paper in a King's James, King James Bible. But what? Okay. he didn't actually find it because he forged it. <gasps> yeah. He, from all of his old books, he would collect books from all ages, and he had a bunch from the time period when Joseph Smith would have been alive and he would take the blank pages out of the books, you know, like the pages maybe in between like the title page and the cover or whatever. Yeah. He would take those out. So that it was authentic paper from the time period and he would make his own ink that would match the ink from the time period. And he was studied um, Joseph Smith and other people's handwriting and forged these documents that looked incredibly real um you can look this up online and you can see it like it totally looks like something that would be real but it wasn't so he brings it to the lds church because this (laughs) if this gets out that's something that people could say this is what was actually on the gold plates this is gibberish joseph smith was full of shit right Mm -hmm. he's like hey look He's still pretending to be a perfect Mormon. He brings it to the church and he's like, hey, look, I found this in a Bible and you guys probably want to buy it because I don't think you want other people to see this. Like, this looks pretty damning for Joseph Smith. And they agreed. (gasps) They they bought it from him for $20,000. What? And if that and that is in the 80s, right? So that's probably like. yeah, I did like the inflation on it, and it, that would be near $40,000 today oh my God. for a piece of forged paper that had just scribbles on it and little, you know, diagrams. And they just were like, well, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff surrounding Joseph Smith and a lot of controversial things. This would just add to it. So we would just better not talk about it. As if that's not shady as fuck. You know what I mean? Like, if this church yeah. is what they say... And it's all about faith base and like it's the only true church on the face of the earth. And they wouldn't be worried. They'd be like, oh, no, it's right. not like it's true. And God yeah. will provide a way. Like even if this paper does get out, like he will he will find a way to make it right. You know what I mean? But clearly that's not the case. Right. And the so the, the prophet at the time was Spencer W. Kimball. And his, some of his main apostles were Gordon B. Hinckley and... The ever so lovely Dallin H. Oaks. No. Or, ew. <laughs> Who I've decided to call Dallin homophobe Oaks. Like, yeah, that's, that's accurate. Um, and another thing I'd like to point out 
is that these men are supposedly of God and supposedly have this power of discernment, right? They can tell when people are lying and supposedly God talks to them directly. Well, (laughs) God didn't say shit about the forgery and they totally bought it. They totally thought he was, it was genuine. That's such a good point. Ah, (laughs) right. So true because they're like, oh, he speaks, the prophet speaks to God and the God would never allow, you know, a false prophet or blah, 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 blah. But right. then, like, if they, like, clearly God would be like, hey, man, um, just so you know, that's actually not an accurate, like, that's a false, like, forged paper. Exactly. Like, come on. Like, if God's able to whisper in your ear to be a homophobic dick and to pass this law in 2015 and then to whisper back in your ear four years later <laughs> that it's not that, like, you take it back, then I'm pretty sure he would tell you it's forged paper. Exactly, but no. Dumb asses. And also, I'm not apologizing for calling them dicks and homophobic sons of bitches that people called us out on for. I'm not. But they are. Yeah. But they are, and I know that you shouldn't be hateful, but when people are nasty like that, you shouldn't dismiss it. So, sorry about it. Sorry Sorry about about it, not sorry. Um, So, after he gets that super large sum of money for that paper he made he drops out of school he was at utah state he drops out of school and just decides like hey i'm gonna become a full-time rare books rare documents dealer and also forger but of course no one knows this so he's still secretly obviously an apostate like he secretly doesn't believe in the church and he's kind of using this to his advantage And, and this is another interesting thing about this is that I think he was really trusted by the church and by everyone around him because he was Mormon. You know how there's like that in-group mentality? Like, oh, he's a good Mormon. He's not going to do anything wrong. And so he could like easily swindle people. Um, It's kind of just like the whole, I don't know, thing about how, I don't know. Anyways, we can get into that later. But so he starts to collect more and more rare books and tons of stuff about Mormon history and he has a home office where he has all of his collections and it's also where he starts to set up this like forgery lab and he puts a lock on it and he is he doesn't allow his wife or his kids to go in there and he tells them it's because the things in there are so valuable that they, they're not allowed to go in. But really, I mean, there is some stuff in there that is valuable. But really what it is, is he doesn't want to get caught foraging. Like, so he's hiding this even from his family. But also, can I just point out that, like, the, okay, maybe this isn't the case. And this is, like, pure speculation and assumption on my part. And apologies if so. But, like, it just seems like the the perfect stereotype of the submissive Mormon wife. Like, I'm sorry, but if my husband was like, oh, I have this room full of, like, precious things, but you're not allowed to go in it. I'd be like, bitch, I'm not a three-year-old. I know how exactly. to not fuck up things. Like, exactly. I will go in and see whatever I want. Like, I would just be like, that's shady. I'm not going to just say, yeah, okay, I'm not going to go in there. Like, I would still be like, no, I want to see it. Like, yeah. let me but in. But remember, he was the priesthood holder, Sarah, so uh, she has to do what he says. <laughs> Okay, so, sorry. um, <laughs> and so he, oh, okay. 
<laughs> Almost knocked it over again. Just should just <laughs> move this water. Okay. I don't need you to, to do better with that water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he, from 1980 to 1984, he forges a fuck ton of documents. And a lot of these are kind of just benign, like maybe small little uh, signatures here and there of Mormon apostles or people in Mormon history. Or I think he wrote like forged some poems or forged some certificates of some kind, but it was nothing like crazy, but he still was getting a lot of money for them from the church. And the church just thought, oh, wow, he's just doing so much like Mormon historical work and finding all of these documents. How great, right? Uh, well, but also... <laughs> Can I point out that that's where our tithing money went to? Oh, oh right. Yeah, they, they're they buying that with tithing money. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. continue. Just to point that out. So in 1984, this is when the salamander letter happens. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. So he claims to find this letter, which, of course, we know he forged it, but he claims to find it. This letter was supposedly from Martin Harris, dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, <laughs> to a man named W.W. Phelps, who was, like, an early figure in Mormonism. I think he might have been an apostle or something. Anyway, so this letter is from Martin Harris to W.W. Phelps, and in it, he talks about the what Joseph Smith told him he saw when he first went and got the gold plates. Um, so, you know, the church's version of this is that Joseph was visited by the angel Moroni, who told him where the plates were, and that's how he knew where in the hill to go look and find these shiny gold plates, um, that then became the Book of Mormon. Well, according to this Martin Harris letter, um, he said, Joseph Smith said, that actually didn't happen. What actually happened was... He went to dig up the plates, and as he he moved this boulder and looked down into this hole where the plates were, and instead of Angel Moroni being around to help him, there was a white salamander that was, like, mystical. Yeah, it was, like, this mystical salamander being, and it smacked him on the head three times (laughs) and told him. And told him that he needed his brother Alvin's help to get the plates out of the hole. Well, the problem with that is Alvin was dead. Oh. So the salamander wanted Joseph to go dig up his dead brother's body and bring his dead brother to the site where the plates were in exchange for the plates, essentially. Oh, my God. So this is nothing like the original version. This is very much like, you know, it it seems almost like black magic kind of style stuff. You know, this has nothing to do with an angel or God. This and this is like, you know, kind of monumental if this is true for the church. Yes. So... Mark Hoffman uh, takes it to the church and they have their historians look at it and they're like, wow, this is like exactly like all the other documents we have from Martin Harris. This all seems legit. And they bought it from him for (laughs) 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 (la
$1,000. What? <laughs> How much yeah. did this guy make from the church? What? How much money did he make in total? Oh, so much money. Like, oh, combined, he just kept getting so much money from them. Um, But the problem is he would get paid by them, and then he would go buy so many more rare books that he never really had any, like, liquid money. It was always, uh. he just, just kept trying to, anyway. So he sells it to them through um, a man named Steve Christensen, who, he was the one who, like, purchased the document and then donated it to the church because the church was like uh we if it if it gets leaked that, that like we bought this then it might look bad for us but if just like a guy this guy uh steve christensen was a bishop and they were like could you just buy it and then donate it to us and then we'll put it in our vault and he was like sure what? so and I think that there's like Mormon white, all these white dudes who have just so yeah. much money laying around, like forty thousand. You can just yeah. be like, oh, here you go. Like I'm gonna buy a document instead of actually using that money to help people who are in need. Right. Let's spend it on a fucking fake document. Yeah, because we're Ugh. scared people will think if it gets leaked. So, and Steve Christensen, he was, uh, he was part of a company called like cooperated financial services. It was like an investment company. Um, so he had all of these like investments going and he also, his boss was also a Mormon Bishop named Gary Sheets. So I'm not going to talk about them too much right now, but just remember those names, Steve Christensen okay. and Gary Sheets. Okay. So, <laughs> so they, t they get the document, they seal it away in their vault and they and Hoffman is like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about it. You guys are good because he's still pretending to be a Mormon. Well, he had a copy of it and he leaked it to the New York Times. Ah! <laughs> oh my God. So the New York, like everyone learns about this. All like Mormons just start learning all over the place. Like what the heck? Like Joseph Smith actually, there was no Angel Moroni. It was a glowing white salamander that helped him <laughs> find this. What is this? You know, I mean, just imagine if this was true, like there would not be Angel Moroni's on top of temples. It would be glowing white salamanders. <laughs> oh, my God. I would come back to the church if that was the case, because I love salamanders and lizards in general. I, I would know, totally right? come back. So it gets leaked. So the church has to say something in defense of this. Well, I guess they didn't have to. They could have just said, if they were honest, they could have just said, yeah, we don't really know what this is. We don't know. We All we know is that it's a letter from Martin Harris and it seems authentic, but we don't know for sure. But no, Dallin H. Oaks himself <gasps> has a press conference. I think it was a press conference where he said, or maybe it wasn't a press conference. Maybe it was just a talk, but he tries to save face by saying, he tries to explain it by saying that in the 1800s, sometimes people would use the word salamander as like a mythical being and something that could survive in fire and angels can survive in fire. So therefore, it's a logical conclusion that Joseph Smith was just talking about the angel Moroni in a different term by using the term word. Uh. Like it's the whole thing, like, you know how they said, translation doesn't actually mean translation when they were talking about the book of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. Just this most stupid apologetics ever trying to explain it. And they're trying to explain a fake document. 
No, I believed in this shit for 28 years. I Sometimes I just think, like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, isn't that bizarre? So, okay, oh. after this comes out, um, there's a very famous couple uh, called, they're named uh, Sandra and Gerald Tanner, and they were some of the very first, like, really famous anti-Mormons. And they heard about this, and they almost immediately started to question it. Like, this seems weird. (laughs) They were like, and you know, they're anti-Mormon. So they were like, this would be great if it was true because it makes the church look ridiculous. But this kind of seems like a forgery. And Gerald Tanner was super, super versed in Martin Harris. Like he was a scholar on him. And so he got a copy of this letter. He saw what it looked like. And he was like, this just seems a little off. He was like, it it doesn't look exactly like his writing and his verbiage seems a little different. And they couldn't prove that it was a forgery, but they were questioning it. Um, But they were the only ones, really. So Mark Hoffman just continues to forge, like, tons and tons of Mormon documents. Like, so many and making all this money, but then putting the money back into other supplies to make more documents. Um, And then he starts to forge uh, documents from American history. Like, (laughs) yeah, he so he forges stuff that he claims was written by Abraham Lincoln, uh, Betsy Ross, Emily Dickinson, George Washington. (gasps) And he's getting some people to believe this and and buy these from him. So then he decides he's going to go for the big guns and he tries to forge a document called the Oath of a Free Man, which was basically like the precursor to the Declaration of Independence. So this was was a big deal. And apparently this document was the very first ever printed document in the United States. Everything else before this was handwritten. But and everyone knew it existed, but it, it had gotten lost. Like no one knew where it was. They just knew that it was a real thing. So he claimed that he found one and he claimed it was real even though he had forged it and oh. he tries to sell it to the library of congress of the united states and he wanted one and a half million dollars for it she um because by this point he was kind of in debt like he some people had stopped buying some of his stuff and he didn't have enough money like he bought this really expensive house and he was living a really lavish lifestyle so he was like well you know, no one's really turned me down yet, especially people from the church. So if I can sell this $1.5 million document, like I got it made, I can pay off my debts. Well, eventually they, the Library of Congress was like, okay, we need to authenticate this. So it went through a long process of being authenticated and they were like, yeah, this doesn't seem right. Sorry, we can't authenticate it. We think it's a forgery. Oh. So he's kind of fucked. (laughs) He's like, oh, no, I don't have any money. I have all these bills I have to pay. And they're not buying my document. Well, Steve Christensen hears about this. Steve Christensen, the guy who bought the salamander letter. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that's weird. I, you know, I'd never even thought that he could be a forger. And it kind of puts a little idea in his brain, like, huh, I wonder if everything else of his is legit. So he kind of starts to question a little. He doesn't know much about it, but he starts to question. 
Well, um, Mark Hoffman, he tries desperately to sell. He, he's desperate for money. So he contacts the church and he's like, hey, I have these papers here that are called the McClellan Collection. I guess McClellan was like this early apostle in the church. He was a friend of Joseph Smith who left the church after three years. And then he started writing all this bad stuff about Joseph Smith. And um, Mark Hoffman was like, hey, I found these documents. I found these journal entries from McClellan and they're, they look really bad for the church. You, I think you should buy them to put them in your vault because I don't want the church to look bad. And he, he didn't even have these documents. He hadn't even forged them yet. He was so desperate. He was just like grasping at straws, like, trying to get them to pay him just something so he could stay afloat. Yeah. And they, and they were like, okay, we'll buy them, but we have to have a meeting and authenticate them first. And Steve Christensen heard about this and he was like, I want to be there to authenticate it. Cause I hear that he might be into some shady stuff. Oh. Um, and so when he heard that, he was like, well, I can't meet tomorrow. I need to meet next week or in a couple of weeks. Can you just give me the money now? And then we'll meet. You know, he kept he was being really fishy. And so Steve Christensen started questioning him and kind of pushing him and being like, hey, why are you being so weird? Why aren't you meeting with us? Um, And so this kind of leads us up to October 15th of 1985. Okay, are you ready? (laughs) I'm getting so excited. I'm so into the story. You don't even know. (laughs) Yay. I wish I had like snacks to give you so you can you're you're drinking your juice box and eating goldfish. (laughs) Okay. So the morning of October 15th, 1985, Steve Christensen goes to his office, which is in downtown Salt Lake City on the sixth floor of the judge building downtown. And he rides up the elevator. He goes to his office door. And as he's unlocking it, he looks down and he sees a package that's wrapped in brown paper and mm-hmm. in fat sharpie on top it says to steve christensen there's no like postage on it, it that's all it says oh my and he God. was like oh what is this and he bends down and picks it up and almost immediately it explodes <gasps> and it kills him instantly oh my god yeah It was a homemade pipe bomb that was filled with concrete nails, and it was triggered by a mercury switch, which is, you know, with liquid mercury. So if it's even moved the slightest bit at a 45-degree angle, that means it will set off the bomb. So it was extremely sensitive, and yeah, it, it completely killed him. So... Everyone's freaking out. Um, oh my god, that's horrific. Everyone is like, "What is happening?" The police come. They're they have no idea, you know, of any suspects who could have done this. They're trying to gather up everything they can for like forensic evidence. And two hours later, another bomb goes off. <gasps> this time, this time, remember how I told you that Steve Christensen also worked at a financial office, like a investment yeah. firm, a guy named Gary Sheets. Okay. Yeah. So, and they, um, 
at the time when these bombs went off, they were kind of in some hot water with some investors and they hadn't paid them back. So at, so yeah, so two hours after um, Steven Christensen gets hit with the bomb uh, over in Cottonwood Heights in Utah at Gary Sheets's house, there's another package on the front doorstep, but he's at work and it's his wife who finds the package. Yeah. And it's the exact same. It's wrapped in the exact same paper. And she picks it up and it immediately explodes and kills her on the spot. Oh. So police are like, oh, my God, we have a serial bomber. Um, and they immediately think, OK, this might be someone that they used to work with or someone who they had invested with them and they hadn't paid back from their investment um, company or it could be the mafia, and they were scrambling trying to find um, clues. And the only uh, witnesses that had anything to say about um, maybe a suspect, they said they saw a guy in a green Letterman jacket holding um, the package when he dropped it off, and he was driving a tan minivan. Oh, That's all they knew. Oh, and he was a white guy in his 30s, but I mean... All guys, almost all guys in Utah, right? So, exactly. (laughs) So, the next day, October 16th, a third bomb explodes. (gasps) But this time, it was Mark Hoffman who got hit with the bomb. Yeah. But he didn't die, he just got really severely injured. So, what, yeah, so what he says happens, okay? He said he was parked downtown and he went to get in his car. And he, as he opened the door to his car, there was a package sitting on his front seat. And he said the movement of opening the car door made the package fall and it exploded and exploded his car and knocked him backwards into the street. And it, it, um, blew off a bunch of his fingers and blew out his knee. I mean, he was severely, severely injured. Well, almost immediately the police are suspicious because his story doesn't line up because um, how he was, he was describing it is not how it would have actually blown him up. How he would have gotten blown up is if he was actually holding the package and leaning towards it to like pick it up and carry it somewhere. So they were like, this seems fishy. And just so you guys know, there's a Forensic Files episode on this. Oh, so really? if you want to get all the like forensics about it, go watch the Forensic Files episode. It's on Netflix. It's, I think, like, what is it? Collection 5, um, episode 5. So oh, you can see like how they dissect it. What? <laughs> so we don't have it on German Netflix. No! <laughs> Okay, so they, they're they a little suspicious of him, and they decide that they need to investigate into him a little bit more. And once they get a search warrant for, their, for his house, they find in his basement, you know, in that, that forgery lab of his, they find a green letterman's jacket. <gasps> they find the same tools and the same gunpowder that was used to build the bombs. 
they find an automatic assault rifle as well. And they find all of his forgery stuff. They find like all of these documents that are, that he'd been working on, like the ink that he'd made, all the stuff he'd been fabricating. They found out about his finances and how in trouble he was with money. And they were like, okay, this, this, you know, adds up. So the reason that Mark Hoffman, so it was him that built the bombs, but the reason he left the bomb at Gary Sheets' house was because he wanted it to look like someone was bombing Steve Christensen and Gary Sheets together because of their work, because of their finance company, um, instead of just bombing Steve Christensen because he was the one pressuring Mark Hoffman to, like, come clean about his forgeries, you know? But then why would he, like, blow up himself? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I think that was an accident is what what eventually came out, is that he was going to deliver that third bomb to someone else. And we still don't know who it was that he was going oh. to deliver that to. But he accidentally tilted the package just a little too much while he was getting it out of his car and exploded himself, basically. Oh. Um, yeah. And then they discovered they, you know, since they found out that they saw this like forgery lab in his, in his house, they started to question all of the stuff that he'd been selling the church and other people. And they went back to examine those documents and they discovered that all of his documents under a microscope would glow blue because they were newer and more newly made than actually ancient documents. And the ink all ran in a different direction because of how he hung them up to dry and the ink actually cracked differently because he hadn't made the ink exactly as it would have been made in the 1830s um yeah it's super fascinating so then the church (laughs) i mean i can't imagine being a church official and just being like oh we paid him so much money and Dallin Oaks tried to explain a magical lizard like exactly like they had to explain and defend themselves like about a magical lizard yeah and this while this lunatic was totally swindling them and then killed people um Anyways, so long story short he got life in prison without parole and he's still in there now he's still alive um yeah he's I think he's not even that old he's maybe only like 65 and uh he a very interesting part of this story too is that when he first went into uh prison he he's ever since he's refused to talk to um journalists like he won't give any interviews Mm -hmm. and his cellmate when he got put in prison was Dan Lafferty uh, from remember from under the banner of heaven. Oh, that, that's how I recognize. This yeah, movie. the guy who who killed his sister in law and the baby. Yeah, because that, I I started reading that book and I was like, why does Hoffman sound so familiar to yeah, me? Yeah, that was his um cellmate and actually so John Krakauer the the author of Under the Banner of Heaven, he initially wanted to write a book about Mark Hoffman because it was all over the news about all of his forgeries and his bombings. And he wanted to do um, a book on him and interview him. And Mark Hoffman declined. But Dan Lafferty heard about it and was like, hey, tell him 
if he wants to write a book about me and my brothers, I'll let him interview me. And that's how Under the Banner of Heaven happened. Oh. Yeah. Freaking crazy Mormon stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So crazy. Yeah. That's the story. That's the story of Mark Hoffman and the Salamander Letter and how the church got really duped. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what else? I just Googled Mark Hoffman just because I uh-huh. wanted to see a picture of him. And I spelt it with two Fs instead of one. And the first thing that comes up is this detective lieutenant in a fictional character from the Saul franchise. From the what? The movie Saul, you know? Oh, uh-huh. Oh. So, like, I was like, oh, my God, is this based off of <laughs> this guy's character? Because, like, the first thing that pops up is all, like, these horrible, scary images of Saul. And then I go down further, and I'm like, oh, here's Mark Hoffman spelt with one F and two N's. This is the Oh, yeah, it's spelled off. weird, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, that's so insane. Yeah, he's 64, and is still in Utah Department of Corrections. Here's another thing to think about. Imagine being his wife or his kids. Oh. Like, you discover that your husband has been making these fake documents, and then he blows up innocent people. And oh. you think he's a Mormon this whole time. <laughs> That's insane. Oh, I just can't even wrap my head around it. And that people, I also listeners, like, especially those who didn't grow up Mormon or, you know, who are listening, who don't know much about it or whatever. I never as a Mormon knew anything about this. Oh my God. They, no, I didn't either. And it's, it was only, it's only been recently that I learned about it because of like ex-Mormon things or just researching more into Mormon history. And of course they don't tell you this because even though they were victims, you know, the Mormon church was a victim of this guy. They won't tell you because it's so glaringly obvious that they had no power of discernment. They just paid him money and believed him because he said, you know, he said he was a worthy member. He said he believed just like them. So they believed him. And, oh, yeah. So, yeah, of course, they don't tell their members about it. I don't even I wonder if any of my family knows about it. I I bet my parents do because they probably remember the news. But, you know, the details of like the salamander letter and stuff. It's just crazy to me that they would even for a second believe that it's true. But they he had them so wrapped around his finger like, oh, yeah, look at all this stuff I'm finding. And they were like, well, I guess this is true. I guess there was <laughs> a magical salamander instead There's of Angel Moroni. magical salamander. <laughs> it makes me like salamanders, but I i mean, I, I like lizards anyways, but I know. He was oh. he was not a good guy, but it's a very interesting story. Oh, wait. I just found this article on Desert News. Made, yeah. It was published. Did you see it in 2017? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. It says, looking back at the Mark Hoffman bombings and his life of deceit. So basically, it's like they're doing a good job of, like, not talking about. Like, they do say, like, most famously, the Salamander Letter was presented a narrative of Joseph Smith's discovery of the gold plates that countered the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints account. Blah, blah, blah. That an angel appeared to him as a white salamander. But it was like they're mostly focusing on, like, the murders and stuff and, like, Mm -hmm. other forgeries that he did. So, like, talking about the ones that aren't related to LDS church stuff. 
Yeah. Um, but it does mention here, according to LDS Church Historian, the church has found 446 Hoffman <gasps> forgeries in its collections. <gasps> I didn't, I, yeah, I'd never found, like, a specific number. That is crazy. 146. And when you think about how much money he was getting for all of those, like, it's just insane. That was tithing money they were paying him. Exactly. And then it says, August 6, 1987, in a speech delivered at Brigham Young University, LDS Church Apostle Elder Dallin H. Oaks. So the same guy who said that a salamander was an angel... (laughs) Um, he goes typical, so typical. He later comes out and says he addressed Hoffman's forgeries and urged church members to be more cautious when they encounter claims about church history. <laughs> oh my God, Dallin H. Oaks. If you want people to be more cautious, maybe you shouldn't start defending something that you don't know is even real. <laughs> like you are contributing to people believing this shit. <laughs> I know. It's so dumb. And then, oh, September 15th, 1988, Hoffman attempts to take his own life through a drug overdose in prison. He survives but suffers tissue damage to his right arm. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, oh, sorry, guys. I'm so busy. It's so interesting. September 2010, forensic document examiners link Hoffman to a forgery implicating William Edwards as a participant in the 1857 Mountain Meadows Massacre. I think we are going to be discovering stuff Mark Hoffman did for years to come, a historian concludes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm currently reading a book called um, The Mormon Murders, and it's really long, but it's super in-depth about this whole, about Mark Hoffman and all of it. So I'm not that far into it yet, but that's another one if you guys want to, like, dive deep. Oh, my God, this episode was so good. Oh. I feel like I just, like, you're really good at telling stories. I was, like, in it. Oh, <laughs> Thank God, you for letting me text. tell you a story. I was I was nervous about whether or not it was going to make sense because parts of it are really confusing. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully it made sense. But it was fun oh, to tell it. It was fun. It was true crime, which is, like, my favorite, but mixed in with, like, False church doctrine. (laughs) Yeah. It was the best of everything that that we love. True crime and Mormon stuff. (laughs) I'm like, but I'm also a bit creeped out right now. I don't know why. I'm kind of a bit scared. I'm all like, oh, I'm a bit scared in my apartment right now. (laughs) No, I know. Like, after it, the more that I've been researching this, I've been so cautious. I'll see. I'll get a package delivered from Amazon, and I'm like, is it a bomb? (laughs) Yeah, but really. But, I mean, oh. that was, remember, that was back in the day where things really went unchecked. Uh, and, you know, there wasn't that much yeah. security and everything. So, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Um, okay, I have nothing else to add. That that does it for me. I'm All right, like, cool. Well, thank you, listeners, for spending that time with us. And we'll be back next week for another episode yeah and thanks katie for telling us a story story time story time <laughs> thank you of course so good um and yeah and as usual thanks for all your support and the messages that we get and again we're sorry if we don't respond immediately i, I we want you guys to know that we're not just sitting there reading your stuff and not messaging back like we just get quite a bit in each day, like a lot of messages yeah. and 
yeah, sometimes we just don't get around to responding as quickly as we want to, but we appreciate the messages and all the support. So thank you. Definitely. And as always, go like us and subscribe and rate and do all the things to let people know that we exist. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Bye. Bye.